Now my jokes are better, you see, because I feel my jokes now. We are, it's good to have Bill back so that I didn't have to do the video or the overhead all by myself. And I have three erasers now, which is tremendous progress. One for all three places. Okay, where are we? I don't know for sure, but somewhere, Alan left in uh, three weeks and he came back and said, let me guess, you're in Cain and Abel. <laughs> Pretty easy, you come back another three weeks and be right again. And that's where we are, so that's Genesis 4. You know, I noticed, by the way, the new movies, not that I watch a lot of movies, I don't. I'm not a big movie guy, it's got to be something that I really like to get me to go. I saw Tarzan. When I was a kid, I loved Tarzan. I always had a question as I got older. Tarzan never had to shave. How did Tarzan get to be 30 and look like that? He never had to cut his hair. Superman, same way. Superman stops bullets with his chest. If they throw the gun, he ducks. You ever wonder why that happens? <laughs> I always thought that that was unusual. <laughs> and those were my favorites, and now we have Tarzan Superman movies. I could digress into my childhood, if you'd like. What made me so twisted, of course, was the look of this. Ever wondered this? Some guy decided that he would put that in the word bliss. So if you had one, you couldn't say it was wrong. <laughs> that, was, that was tough for me as a kid to deal with. And I had to, and the guy had a game called Look. See, I couldn't go to class. I had to come out of class. That's why I spit all over people. I know I didn't say that. But I had to go to class to learn how to say my L's and my R's and my W's. And there I would be with this nice gentleman who would have his deck of cards. It was really, it was more like a pitch, I guess. And if he, I would, he'd ask for the card, and if I didn't have it, I would have to say, look. If I would not say, look, then I forfeited my turn. And so I did not say, look, so I always forfeited my turn, and so he always won. You know, I'm six, seven years old, I'm in first grade, this is the public school system in Whittier, Alaska. <laughs> uh, probably figured out that there could be some problems. But that is why I am the kind of twisted person that I am today. I did not want to lose my game of look, and so I'm now the guy who sits at home. I know the batteries are dead on the remote control, so I push the button harder. <laughs> that's that's going to help me. Now, knowing that now about me, here we go into Cain and Abel. Where we were last week, we know that there are two positions on Cain and Abel, don't we? Two major positions. Now, there are lots of minor positions, but the two major positions are the heart versus the offering. What I mean by that is if you take the position, you have to deal with what happened in the sacrifice. What occurred here in Genesis 4? What was responsible for it? And the two positions be oops, thank you. Somebody pushed the button. Good old Bill. Glad to have you back, Bill. 
Two positions become is that Abel's offering was accepted because of his heart and his character. And if that's your position, then you're going to conclude naturally, therefore, that Cain's offering was rejected because of his heart and his character. And the reasons for that, if you read the text, and we provide the text with your handy-dandy bulletin, if you read the text, you would, say, you would see here, that, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Notice the order, Abel and his offering. Abel, and then the offering. Abel, offering. And then what does it do next? It says Cain, offering. And the implication by the theologians is today that that order is not incidental. There are no irrelevant details in Scripture. Therefore, we pay attention to the order. That means that God looked at Abel and then his offering. Cain and then his offering. He is looking at the person and then he is looking at the offering. If there's something wrong with the heart or the character of the person, then there is therefore something wrong with the offering. That is the position. And then, of course, they look at the offering. And Abel brought the firstborn, and he brought the fat. That implies that that was a, a sacrifice on his part, that his offering cost him something. He brought the very best that he could bring. And we evaluate Cain's offering, if we're taking this position, and Cain's offering would be the fruit of the ground. That did not have the significance that Abel's did. Then, of course, you go on further and you look at Cain's character revealed with the murder of his brother. That is the position, that it is the heart or the character that impacted this situation the most. The other position, of course, is, as if you were here last week, this is a little review, just in case we have a visitor. The other position is that it was not anything to do with their character at all. Their characters were ultimately pretty similar, if not identical. That there was no significant difference in their characters, the difference was in the offering. And there is where you are. You have to make those, that decision in order to proceed with the rest of the story. You can always identify those who do not like the music. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> advantage, disadvantage of small churches. Okay. Now, now you begin to investigate scripture and try to make a decision based where else is in scripture. And you know me. I'm going to take this position. If you were here, it does not mean that I am right. Okay, it just means that this is where I have ended up in my journey through Scripture. And I use Hebrews 11.4 as one of my biggest reasons, among others. And lots. And one of my biggest reasons is the Hebrews 11.4 that says to me that it was Abel's sacrifice that was more excellent. Not Abel that was more excellent. His sacrifice. That was more excellent to God. So the emphasis in 11.4 seems to clear it up for me, and I look at the offering. Now, once I've made that decision, I start going the rest of the way through Scripture and see if it fits for me. Now, here's where I end up. See, Abel, following the first revelation of God, 
which was the four points, if you remember. The four points is, one, sin has to be covered. God reached out his big leaf removal day, remember? God said sin must be covered. Fig leaves are not acceptable. They don't work. God alone will cover sin. With his own effort, his own self, no one with him. He alone. And death is a price that must be paid for sin. Those were the four points of the first revelation of God in Genesis. Now, Abel, I believe, is following that revelation. And here's what he's doing. He's agreeing with God. He he brings in his offering... He brings a lamb, the best he can bring, a spotless, innocent lamb. He's agreeing with God. He's taking God's side. Now, if he's taking God's side, by the way, who's he taking God's side against? That's an important point if you take my position. He's taking God's side against himself. He's agreeing with God. He's saying, listen, I am a fallen sinner. I have distanced myself from you. I am confessing that. I am worthy of death. My only hope is an innocent substitute. My only hope is blood of an innocent substitute. Taking my place, accepting my penalty. And Abel took God at his word, in a sense, that when he offered this sacrifice, his faith was such that he believed it would be accepted. And was it accepted? He said, well, it was accepted. Now we contrast that with Cain. Right? What did Cain bring? I'm, I'm focusing now on the difference in the offering. Cain brought two things. Ribbon. Perhaps more. Two tools. He brought fruit of the ground. Fruit of the ground. No blood. Our question has been for the last few weeks, what is he doing? What is he saying? Is he saying that sin is not, if you contrast that with Abel, is he saying that sin is not inherited? Is he disagreeing with God that sin needs to be better? One, is he saying I have no sin? Is that a possibility? And if he has sin, is he saying that he could provide his own suitable covering for it? That he does not need the blood of an innocent man? And was he also saying that unlike the revelation that God gave to his father and mother, that the ground was not first for him? Is that where he is headed? See, Abel confesses his need for a substitute. Cain apparently, or appears, to not do so. One has blood, one does not. That's a significant difference in the offering. I'm going to ask you, is there a significant difference in the character? I can see a tremendous difference in their offering. Now I go through the Bible and I look at stories to determine whether or not I have a similar story that repeats itself. And I do, really quickly. I have Israel and Egypt, among others. I have Israel and I have Egypt. Did I spell Egypt right? Yay, poor me. And God comes through there as they are about to be delivered. The angel of death comes through, and there is a difference between Israel, and there is a difference between Egypt. And what is the difference? Is it in their character? Would you like to stand up and debate whether or not Israel was a nation of great character? I think you'd have some trouble with that. 
But if you read the history, it does not appear that the character of Israel was too spectacular. But yet, God came through one night, didn't he? And there was a difference between the two of them. One had what? Blood. One did not. One was passed over. One was not. And did anything to do with the character? See, the story begins to repeat. I look at the tax collector and the Pharisee, and we evaluated their character from the outside. Of course, we should never do that, should we? Because we cannot do that. We do not have the ability to judge the heart of man. That is God's domain alone. But if I evaluated the tax collector and the Pharisee, I would take the conclusion, being stupid, that the Pharisee was the man of great character. The tax collector was not. But God, Christ said the opposite, didn't he? He was looking somewhere else, and I wonder sometimes... If we get carried away with character, why are you angry? That was the review. Why are you angry? And Cain was very angry. God accepted, as we discussed, most believe that he accepted it was fine. He accepted Abel's sacrifice. He did not accept Cain's. And then he asked, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? So we know two things. We know that Cain is angry. And we know it shows. And we know that God asks. That's three, sorry. Why does God ask? God doesn't know why Cain is angry. He doesn't know why Cain is feeling bad. This is a perplexing question. Why would Cain be angry? It's a, it's a question that has bugged Many, many people. Why didn't Cain just say, made a mistake, sorry about the fruit. <laughs> you don't have a sheep. Everything's fine. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he humbly realize his error? Why not? Why did he not follow the instructions that Abel followed? What is the difference? Now we're back to character again, aren't we? We're beginning to say, evaluate whether or not these things can be separated. Can character and offering be separated? That becomes a clue for our question for you. Doesn't it seem simple? I mean, I'm not a smart guy. But if I reach over and put my hand on the burner and it goes, <laughs> I don't put my hand on that burner again. I put my hand on the coal burner. See, I learned that way and kids learn that way. And if there's a wall, I run into the wall, bam, which I do a lot in my life, and then I go back and say, wow, a wall, I think I will go this way. I can do that. And so when I do that, I put myself in this position. Am I stupid enough to bring fruit? Oh, yes, I am. I am stupid enough to be fruit. Am I stubborn enough when I see it's the wrong thing? And not go get the lamb. By God's grace, I hope I am smart enough to go get the lamb. I hope that God puts inside me the wisdom to do that. I know on my own, no. So I can look at this and say, it's possible I could be stupid and do this. Why would I rebel? Why would I, if I know the offering of blood and lamb is the one that I'm supposed to have, the innocent substitute is the one I'm supposed to have, why would I rebel and go be a priest? Of the Why would I do that? Why do most of that? And here, here's proof. Here's salvation. Is there a big crowd? 
the narrow path. Why do most rebel? See, it speaks to motive. And that is where we're at today, isn't it? We are trying to evaluate the motives of pain. God intervenes. He doesn't have to intervene, does he? He points out that, that Cain, that there is no reason for him to be angry. Why does he do that? Why is God even injected here? Cain is angry. His countenance is fallen. Why does God say, why are you angry? What's wrong? Why do you feel bad? Why does God get involved? See, don't you question that? He provides a solution, doesn't he? If you read on. And this is a difficult verse in Scripture. Read on. What's his solution? Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? That is God's solution. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Do what well? And is that a good translation? By the way, it's not. I hope I have somebody with King James here today. If you have King James, raise your hand so I can pick one. Good old Bill. Okay. Not tonight. King James does something much, much different in this verse. Remember, as we talked about, this is a verse that theologians have fought over four centuries. Four seven of Genesis has never been found to be acceptable by any large majority position. And I'm going to give you all of them, hopefully today. But God intervenes and he seems to provide a solution. If you do well, will you not be, be accepted? In other words, if you take that interpretation, and that's the New King James, you take the New King James, it seems to say, provide the proper substitute, everything will be okay, forget the whole thing, move on, back to normal. Why wouldn't we do that? I made a mistake. I have the wrong position. You have shown me by Abel's sacrifice that I have the wrong position. I'm sorry. I humbly resubmit the proper sacrifice. Back to normal. Everything's fine. Why wouldn't he do that? Seems that God gives him that opportunity, but Cain wouldn't do it. He didn't change his offering. Instead, what does he do? It just doesn't seem that difficult to me. I bring up, I bring up permanent. I'm supposed to bring a fern. I put a fern there. Nancy says, no. I want to live. Okay. How much trouble is that? Why can't I just conform? Why didn't Cain conform? It's a big mystery here. Instead of conforming, instead of resubmitting another offering, what does he do? He takes an extraordinary step. He gets very angry. His countenance falls. And he does what? He kills his brother. That's what he does. Doesn't that seem really rash and unusual? It makes no sense what could possibly be his motive for killing his brother. That just doesn't seem to fit. Some wonderful statements. Let me read one. And one is by a wonderful man who said this, Unless the darkened understanding of man be illuminated by the Holy Spirit, the human heart rebels against the idea of the impossibility of approaching God except through a blood sacrifice. And that is true today and it has been true throughout the centuries. Natural man hates the truth of substitution. Is that what's going on here? Very likely it is. But why? He's gotten to see his parents do it. He's gotten to do it himself. As you know, I take a position. This is a man in his 30s. Why now this change? And why does this change cause him to murder his brother? It makes no sense. The story has never made sense. 
to most. My hope is, is that it will begin to. Let's back up. Genesis 4, 7. Very important verse. Let's read the whole thing this time. I cheat, don't I? I to pull you down the road that I want to take you by leaving things out. Well, now we'll go back. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Understand, if you take that position, that is not the accepted position in Scripture. If that's what your Bible says, or something very similar to it, you're going to find out, I think, if you study, that's not the accepted thing. But a very important word, the first mention. You know me. I believe in first mention. I'm a the guy that pays a lot of attention to typology, and every time I can find the first mention of a word, boy, I grab onto it because I need to know it's there just in case somewhere else is referring back to here, and there's a very important first mention in this story. There's two, really. First mention of sin is in this verse. That's the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible, and you need to know that. In this story also, the first time that blood is mentioned in the Bible. Those are two important themes in Scripture. And you need to know where they are. Now, a better rendering, a more accepted rendering, you can mark in your Bible, I can't. I have ten pages and it runs through. It's really, really a bad thing. I have little tiny margins. Get thick paper and big margins. Okay? I have to use my glasses. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Okay, let me change that. If you do well, should you not have the excellency? Should you not have... Remember, we're talking about motive here. Should you not have the excellency? That is the traditional, majority, accepted translation of that scripture. Now, my point when I say things like that, you will see all the time people say that scripture is inherent. Yes, it is. You will see the caveat in its original form. I believe that scripture is inherent, inspired by God, and it is infallible and perfect in its original form. And my job is to study and find that original form. And of course, the Old Testament was written in what? Hebrew. So I need to study Hebrew and make sure that I have the correct translation as best I can fit. Some things God in, in Proverbs 25 2 says that it is to his glory to conceal things in Scripture, and it is to your honor, the honor of kings, to go find it. My job is to dig through this stuff as best I can. It's something that God likes. He wants me to do that. But anyway, what does this refer to? Should you not have the excellency? If you do the right thing, should you not have the excellency? What does that refer to? Well, that refers to the high privileges and authority belonging to the firstborn child. That is the oriental culture coming to work. And what brings me back to this motive again, isn't it? Because I'm trying to find out why he just didn't do the same sacrifice. Because it seems to imply if you do the same sacrifice, everything will be fine. But he didn't do it. 
You should have the excellency. You should retain the rights of the firstborn and have what? What are the rights of the firstborn? See, the rights of the firstborn are precedence. Precedence over who? You can yell at me here. It's okay. Precedence over who? Over his brothers. And over his other brothers and his other sisters. As we go along in the study, you're going to see me develop a position. There were quite a few others here. So, back to Mo. Now we have, isn't it wonderful? Art is We have erasers everywhere now. Now we have, we have motives of anger. What are the motives of anger? Let's make a list. Lists are good. And I had to work on this. No, I did. Last week when I did it, we're right. See, it's almost over, isn't it? And I'm right back to last week. Isn't that great? That cuts my studying time right now. <laughs> Okay, here we are. We have the five motives of Cain. Oh, there we are. And the first motive was, of course, as you all know, Tom Abel. That was the first motive of Cain. This is a theological motive. Okay, these are not my ideas. Please keep that in mind. I'm not this smart. Second motive, of course, this is, however, my wording. Isn't it? The second wording, or the second motive was, Stop Abel. And of course, therefore, the third was stop Abel. Okay. I know you think these all look the same, but they're all significantly different. And the fourth, of course, is what? Wrong. Shut up. I had trouble, you know. I had to change it. I had to find a way to make it all so nice and clean. And of course, the fifth would be Sick. Okay. Those are, let me drop this in. Those are the motives that are most, those five motives. There are some others, but these are the ones that are predominantly argued in theological schools that none of us will ever go to. Stop Abel. Stop Abel from getting the precedence. See, do we have a transfer of the excellency here? Because Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not, does that also transfer the excellency? Does that transfer the precedence? So, stop Abel from the excellency. Is that what Cain is worried about? Is he worried about now Abel leaping him and becoming and having the rights of the firstborn? Has that story ever showed up in Scripture anywhere else? We think of a couple, can't we? Joseph, real quickly. Were we worried about that? Were those group of brothers worried about Joseph? Yeah, well, he did, didn't he? How'd they like that? They didn't like that very much. And then, of course, you have Esau, huh? That whole story seems to be about the transfer of the excellency that belonged to Esau. And here it is again. Here it is first. First mention. That's very important. Stop Abel from the excellency, which is the precedence, which is the authority. Now we have stop Abel from the rights 
which I like to put, stop people from getting the stuff. You can really see the separation. It's really the same thing, isn't it? To stop Abel from getting the excellency, and I have divided the excellency into two parts. I have divided it in from the religious or the precedence of the authority and the material. So in other words, is it, it comes down to this, doesn't it? It becomes power or greed, doesn't it? Now, third, stop Abel. Not able from fulfilling the prophecy. Fulfilling, fulfilling in the year not. What prophecy am I talking about here? I'm talking about the two seeds prophecy that says the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. Is that prophecy? Does Cain believe that prophecy applies to he and Abel? We discussed that last week. If he thinks it does, does he think that this is a problem now? I have been leapfrogged. I am no longer the seed of the woman. I am now the seed of who? I am the seed of the serpent. Is that a possibility that he is thinking that, and therefore he? this is really self-defense, isn't it? Because if Abel is now the seed of the woman, he is going to do what to me if I believe I am the seed of the serpent? He's going to bruise my head. Right, bruising your head sometime is usually almost always and in fact is fatal. Doctor is missing today or he would stand up and say yes. You had a really wonderful discussion about bruising of the head and the shut up Abel. I moved this one. Last week it was three. Okay? Just in case you're confused. Which is kind of what I do here, isn't it? See, he's angry, and he's humiliated, and Abel is right. That's how we could start. He's angry, and he is humiliated, and Abel's position seems to be correct, doesn't it? Abel's theological position is, is that I needed an innocent substitute, I needed the blood of that innocent substitute in order to take my place to accept my penalty, and Cain comes along and says, no, I either have no sin, or I am able through my own efforts to come up with an offering that is acceptable to God. There is a monstrous theological discussion. In fact, if you want to break down all theology in the world, that is the discussion, is it not? You either are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else, or you can work your way to heaven. That is the two that are everywhere else. Those are only two. All can be broken down into those two positions. And who was right? Abel was right. Now, is Cain so angry and so humiliated at being wrong theologically that he's overcome, that he is just in a rage, in a passion, and in that passion, he decides that he's had enough of this guy's position and I'm going to shut him up? Do we have people killed over theology? We do indeed. That's happened all throughout history. Is that what's happening here? Is that his motive? And then, of course, sick of him. That was a strange <laughs> There is a strong element out there that believes that. Here he is. He put his fruit on the ground. And he's a what? 
is a farm. And Abel is a shepherd. Who has sheep? Abel does sheep. Does he have all the sheep? Is he the only one of the sheep? Is the only way I can provide a offering to God that is acceptable to God is to get a sheep? Come in. Is that my only chance? And is Cain trying to get a sheep from Adam? Does he want a sheep from Adam? Is he really willing to say, listen, I want to change my offering. I want to get a sheep. But he goes to Abel. Abel won't give him a sheep. Or wants to sell him a sheep. And so therefore we have a murder over a sheep. I tried to... Yes, it's the range wars, isn't it? I tried to present that as best I could. And I hope I made you think with it, because it is out there. Now I'm going to take them off. But I can't. Okay, let's go. I never learned to juggle. I would be far, far better at this job. Let's go to 1 John 3.12. There we, we're going to have it all fixed for us because you do want to go through the Bible and find where in the Bible these things are addressed. And here is one of the places that Cain and Abel is addressed is in 1 John 3.12. So go to 1 John 3.12. And we'll start at 11. Everyone is there. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And here's the question. Here's the question we're trying to decide today. When, why did he murder him? What was his motive? Why did he murder him? Because, 1 John 3.12 says, because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. That is the motive of Cain. Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. See that? That's simple, isn't it? We can quit now. You got it? And illuminate it for you. Now you know why he killed him. You're on your own. You're there. Let's go back. Genesis 3.16 and 4.7. And notice... A couple of repetitive words. Go to Genesis 3.16. You are in this curse of Eve. And 3.16 says, you know, I have to turn that quickly. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. I go back to Cain and Abel. And I see almost a repeat of that. I see in 4.7. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Almost identical terminology repeated there. We have this ruling thing that occurs in Cain and Abel as I go towards. And that's back to the excellency, isn't it? One of them is ruling over the other one. Is that his motive? Did Cain, and Christ, of course, gives a clue, doesn't he? Let's go back to that. Matthew 23, 31. Let me read it for you. I am much faster than you guys. Okay, I'm not. 23:31. I did 23:35 last time. I'm going to help you out this time. 
Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Who is Christ Jesus Christ talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. He has said they have murdered the prophets. He calls them a brood of vipers. And then he goes on. And he said, Therefore indeed I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. But on that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel. So he is saying to these brood of vipers that they have in fact murdered the prophets and one of those prophets was Abel. That's what Christ said. Abel was a prophet. Who murdered Abel? Discussed this before. Cain murdered Abel. If Christ says the Pharisees are a brood of vipers that have murdered Abel, then he is saying that they are like who? Cain. So we have a clue to Cain's motive. Now let's go back to sheep. Did Cain kill Abel over sheep? You should have a sport card now and you're riding down. These positions, believe it or not, are not the number one position wins. I think it's about 28%. So they're all pretty close. There's a large contingent of learned men who hold these positions. And I'm going to disagree with those guys here. Did he kill Abel over sheep? Did Abel deny him? Did he thwart him? Was Abel trying to get the excellency so he has an opportunity to thwart Cain from getting that, from, from doing what God said, so therefore he can withhold the sheep? And Cain there is stuck, can't come up with the right offering, and therefore we have the transfer of the excellency. Is that what happened here? Is that the motive? And Cain's so angry that he kills Abel over a sheep? See, a lot of theologians believe that when God and Cain are speaking, they want to know where they're at. Where are they? Where is God when he is talking to Cain? Are they in the field? Or are they back at the altar, at the gate, where the flaming sword is? Where are they? If they're back at the altar, then they say, what's he doing back at the altar? Does he have a sheep? Is he redoing something? Did he get the sheep? He's a dead guy. Did he steal one of his sheep? Is that what happened? Old Columbo's a theology? There's a problem with that view, I believe. See, Christ went out of his way to clear the temple, didn't he? He was angry. And he went into the temple and he cleared the temple. What was going on in the temple? What was happening there? Well, we have what we call today exchanging of money. Perhaps what we would say today is bingo, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> we have money exchanging. What were they exchanging money over? They were exchanging money over what? Over sheep. 
I had people coming in there that needed a sacrifice, and I happened to have the Pharisee who had a whole bunch of perfect sheep. So you gotta have perfect sheep. You want a sacrifice? You gotta have perfect. Oh, your sheep's not too perfect, but it's fine. Have one more. Christ took particular offense at that. He did not like that. He cleared that temple. She said, That's an important aspect of this theology problem, that you can't come to him. Who do you want? You do not need to find sheep. You do not hold sheep. He would not have called Abel, righteous Abel, Abel, after 40 hands, trying to sell the sheep. So I think we can get rid of him. Sick of Abel. Did Cain kill Abel to win? The theological argument, the theological discussion, this is really what? Works versus grace, isn't it? That's what that is. One says, I can provide a covering that is suitable for God for the first round of my own foil, my own work. The other says, no. Some have a sacrifice that is innocent that has come to Christ's death. That's for me. Salvation through grace, innocent substitute, salvation through it. The grace goes on today everywhere. Did he kill him over that? Is he so angry and so humiliated? Okay, well, we're going to take that out. Back to this. Look at your Bibles. How many of you have? I do not have a very holy Bible here. How many of you have in this section that says, Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were out, were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. How many have in that section a little asterisk or a, or a separation, a little, a little space? And over in the side of the notes, if you have a particularly holy Bible, in the margin, it will say something there. How many have that? And it will refer to the Septuagint or the, or the Vulgate. Anybody have that in your Bible? Okay. Oh, one, two, three. Okay, we're doing good. The rest of you. <laughs> okay. The Septuagint says, let us go out into the field. The Vulgate says, let us walk out. So here we are. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass they were in the field. That's not what... I cannot, I cannot find a theologian. I've said this a couple of times. If I've got 12 or 15 of them in there, I cannot find one who does not accept the Septuagint position or the Vulgate position that says... Let us go out into the field. That Cain said. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother and said, Let us go out into the field. That quote is from Cain. And it is in the Septuagint. And it implies that this discussion is continuing. What else does it imply? We're running out of time. 
Let us, if Cain comes up to Abel and says, let us go out into the field, and they go out into the field where he rises up and kills him. What is that quote from Cain in what? Premeditation? Sure done. He wants to get him out into the field. Why does he want to get him out in the field? He's so angry, he's so humiliated, he kills his brother, he's so angry, so full of rage, but he says, let us go out into the field. Why does he want to go out into the field? Why are we out in the field? We're at the altar right now. Why don't we stay at the altar? We're arguing over this stuff. Why don't we stay at the altar? Why must we go out into the field? What would be the motive for taking him out into the field? Yeah, nobody else could see, huh? Among other things, and nobody else could what? No one could interfere. What's really interesting about that is, is that Abel goes, doesn't he? He goes. If he is so angry and so humiliated, I've got a brother that's older than me, and if he's angry and he's humiliated and he says, let's go out there where mom and dad can't see, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm smart enough to know that. And that worries me to see about this position. How angry is he? How humiliated is he? How out of control is he? Is this a crime of just rage? Or does, as the Septuagint and the Vulgate imply, there's some premeditation here? There's some careful thinking here. See, a clue is in the field. They were in the field. Matthew Henry says that Abel, I'm sorry, that Cain covered it with a show of friendship with a show of kindness. That's his interpretation of this section. And it's hard to argue with him. Perhaps, you see, if you take the position four, perhaps his anger subsided. Perhaps he gained control. And then he walked out into the field and he lost it. With his anger here, really anger is not in his fault. I got control. He's not angry. Let's go out talking to you. Exactly. You like that? Why go out into the field? And it says he talked. You see, going out in the field causes a control to be present. It's certainly not a rash anger. So it occurs to me that this is probably not wrong. He killed are we going to finish today? We have three left. Did you stop him for self-defense? Did you stop him from getting stuck? Did you stop him to cause the excellency to remain? Let me say this about the seed thing. Cain, if he took the position that he could work his way in, he finds out that that is not true. God would not accept it. If he takes the position that I am sinner, and therefore knows that the Redeemer that would come later out of Eve light is also sinner, and therefore I am the Redeemer, the seed of the woman, he found out now that isn't true, doesn't he? He has sin in him. His offering wasn't accepted. Whose offering was accepted? Abel. What did that offering say? 
an offering said, Abel had sinned. And God said, yes. So Abel is not the redeemer. He seated the woman. God proved that to it. Abel has sinned. Cain is also not the seed of the woman, is he? He has sinned. Therefore, both have sinned. Neither is the seed. These are smart men. I think they can figure that out quickly. There isn't a seed versus seed problem here. Clearly, that prophecy does not apply to these two men because they both are sinful men. And if they were confused about that, they're not confused now. Oh, now, I think you can get rid of that. Which means, if you want to know, my name is 